0: me.
1: Welcome to Bickering Peaks. For my
0: darling, I love you. With Aiden. And Lindsay. And You are Aiden. And you're Lindsay. And
1: this is Bickering Peaks. Yes, it is. Welcome back. It feels like it's been a while since we've actually sat here and done anything more than a brief intro tour to on yes. the air. Episode.
0: Well, yeah, because it's been four weeks now it since we've anything. It yes. has
1: been. What have you been up to?
0: Um, you know. Getting sick again.
1: Yeah, you were Aiden was I, quite sick I had for a while.
0: Another cold. Mm-hmm. Just bad luck. Um, better than that, nothing. Yeah. Uh, how about you?
1: Well, I was in a car accident.
0: Oh yeah, we did that too. Yeah. Yeah. So we bought
1: a brand new Mini Cooper in of course we did. in February. And in mid April, uh, we were broadsided. Some guy ran a stop sign, and I've been concussed and mm-hmm. suffering through physio treatments and all sorts of fun stuff. So but mostly, I'm sad that our fun car is in is air gone. quotes
0: here. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, our car is not totaled. We're going to get it back. Yeah, we're repairing it as we speak. Cooper
1: will ride again. Yes, but in slightly doppelganger form, I guess.
0: This is more him after he takes the the shots to the chest at the end of season one. He'll right, be limping right. This for is a season bit. two. Yeah. Cooper now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> after two months of ownership, I'm glad
1: we can laugh about yeah. this. It's been a month, so I, well, I feel like this is progress psychologically. Yes,
0: yes, exactly. It's it wasn't all bad. So,
1: speaking of all bad. We're talking about Wild at Heart today.
0: <laughs> yes, I, we are.
1: I say that with a laugh and a smile because I didn't hate this movie, but it's not one of my favorites.
0: Nope, me neither. I am in the exact same mind. We both, I think, had very similar reactions throughout the watching of this film. Uh, and this was, we did watch it a couple days ago, mm-hmm. and that was only the second time either of yeah. us had seen it. We watched it the first time together, I believe, as well. Yeah, a few years ago. Few several years ago, years ago maybe. But, yeah.
1: Um, yeah, I, I guess... Um, if you put it in context of all of Lynch's works, if I had to rank them, this would be quite low on the list, just because it it's quite straightforward. It's an adaptation of, of somebody else's work. Um, so similar to Dune, it just doesn't really work as well as, as David Lynch's singular vision when he, you know, writes and directs and does everything for the film. Um, they, they just tend to have a different feeling. Mm -hmm. This kind of lacks that a little bit. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. There, there are just other things about it that I, I'm not a fan of the excessive violence. So I, that kind of stomach turns. And mm-hmm. um, I don't know. Aiden, you had a much more visceral reaction. You really didn't like it. Yeah,
0: I thought it was just terrible. It, it reminded me of Dune where the, the best parts are the unintentionally hilarious parts <laughs> where you're just like, this makes no sense. I have to laugh. Because you did it feels laugh awkward. a lot. I laughed quite a, quite a bit. And there were a few funny lines and there were a few memorable scenes. Uh, it wasn't all bad by any stretch. Uh, it's better than Dune. In my estimation, which is, again, not saying much, but, uh, I did enjoy, uh, watching this film a little bit. Um, but for the most part, I just, it kind of tuned my, turned my brain off as I, it was well, listen, on, but I wasn't really engaged at all.
1: And it's kind of easy to do that because it is a straightforward film. Mm-hmm. It's not like Mulholland Drive or Inland Empire or something yeah, like that, where you yeah. really need to pay attention. Um, the story progresses more or less linearly with a few flashback sequences Um, it's hard not to notice the things that are happening because it's very loud. There's lots of boisterous music and Mm -hmm. actions. And, um, so it's, it's attention grabbing in that way, but it's not, not to the same degree as a film like Mulholland Drive or Twin Peaks or something where you really need to pay attention to, I don't know, maybe not the subtleties underneath, but.
0: Well, in some cases the subtlety is. Yeah. But, yeah. This is not a subtle film. No, and there's there's no dream imagery, there's nothing surreal about well, it really. I mean, there's there's some. The Wizard odd of Oz parts,
1: stuff is kind of But
0: that's almost like metatextual. It's not Yeah. It's not the well, same it depends thing depends on how you, how you
1: read it. it. I think there is an opportunity to read this differently, and lots of people have. But um but I think you and I are just approaching it and probably because this isn't one of our favorite films. We're approaching it more as just a film that a f- we watched yeah, yeah, right
0: it's, yeah a fluffier film and maybe there yeah you're right there there are people who have done more thorough analysis, mm-hmm. by all means and uh we've you've read a few pieces yeah. on that um i did not because of course lindsay does the hard work in this relationship <laughs> generally uh thank but- you i am glad we <laughs> have that on
1: on recording now
0: <laughs> exactly it's there forever um <laughs> But yeah, and so we'll talk about a little bit of them uh, later on. But first, before we go any further, how about some production history, get some timeline for how this does fit into all of the other Lynch works. Yeah,
1: so it was a film that I think David Lynch was supposed to be helping somebody else make. And he liked it so much that he started directing it after all. Um, It's based on on a novella by Barry Gifford, which apparently is quite short. Um, I haven't read it, but it sounds like it could be dashed off in an afternoon, a couple hours, which is funny because David Lynch filmed about three and a, half and a bit ish. hours of the film um, and cut it down to the two hours or so that is actually yeah, the on the DVD. Release, yeah. Um, yeah, theatrical release. Yeah, that's the that's the, that's the that's phrase. The phrase. Uh, yeah. So he famously left the set of Twin Peaks midway uh, through its production run, I guess, and um, yeah, in maybe about halfway one. between season one and season yeah. two, I guess. Yeah. And to film this, to make it, and consequently, there are a lot of Twin Peaks stars in this in this film. Yep. Sherilyn Fenn shows up. Uh, Jack Nance. Jack Nance is in it. Grace Zabriskie is in yep. it. Um, Harry Dean Stanton shows yep. up. Isabella Rossellini from Blue Velvet and David Lynch's one time girlfriend. And I mean, it's where it's the first time he worked with Harry Dean Stanton it's you know Laura Dern obviously stars in it she was from Blue Velvet as well um yeah so I mean it's it's got quite a quite a cast mm-hmm. assembled around it also some really memorable turns by Willem Dafoe as <laughs> yeah. uh, Bobby Peru Bobby and um Crispin Glover as Cousin Dell, yeah, roaches in his underwear, like really, really some, crazy, yeah. creepy stuff going on there. But um, yeah, so I, I mean, it, and Nicolas Cage obviously playing Sailor Ripley, mm-hmm.
0: and Laura Dern's mother,
1: yeah, Diane Ladd, Diane Ladd, yeah, I playing him, of course, playing Laura Dern's mother,
0: yep,
1: <laughs> <laughs> playing you know <laughs> Laura Dern's mother, Diane Ladd, playing Lula's mother Marietta, yeah. Uh, which is kind of cool. I always like it when that happens. And Aiden mm. didn't know that. Aiden I didn't, didn't know, know that. The first Latt. time I
0: watched it, I was which like, oh, I thought just... I
1: told you about that because they also star together in Inland Empire. And they did another movie together in the in the 80s, I think. Hmm. Or early 90s. I can't remember. But um, yeah, they've they've been in a couple of films together, which is yeah. kind of fun. Yeah, interesting. Uh, yeah, Diane Ladd is off the charts crazy in this movie. Yeah. I love it. She's, she's, she's so great. beyond. Yeah. She is, as the kids say, extra. <laughs> extra, extra. <This laughs> Let's is... say... This is
0: what you've <laughs> learned from your years of uh, teaching elementary and junior high. Is. Junior
1: high school, more, more yeah, than anything. It's, yeah, they,
0: they're more extra. That
1: and how to floss. I know how to floss. Please Not don't. my teeth. My dancing.
0: Yeah, please don't.
1: I, I'm doing You're it. You're doing now, it now,
0: you and you shouldn't. It's
1: because it's a podcast. <laughs> yeah. so nobody can see us
0: except for me. I had to see it anyway. anyway uh, so, so it was
1: it was uh, filmed and released in 1990. It, uh, it did it premiere at the Cannes Film Festival. They usually do. Yeah. And it won the Palm Door, yeah. which is kind of impressive considering that it's I, bad.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> considering that,
1: should, that a film like Fire Walk with Me was booed.
0: Well, and that's—I uh, mean, that just—that just, that just boggled my mind. Comparing, you know, Fire Walk with Me is a work of art and it's genius in my mind. And then,
1: and there, there's like 24 months apart, maybe, <laughs> yeah, at max, right? Yeah. Like, so it's really, yeah, astonishing. And I think. More than anything, it shows that sometimes these uh, award shows are kind of full of shit. Um, because, <laughs> yeah. because by that point in time, I think people were fed up with David Lynch. Mm-hmm. And there was like fatigue in the culture of wanting to praise somebody that they didn't understand. Yeah. So it was not, it's never about the art as much as it is the politics, the around, politics it, yeah. around it. Which, I mean, to this day, there's politics around it. I don't oh, know if you saw yeah. like a couple... Couple of days ago, the um, lineup of female judges, including Kate Blanchett and um, Kristen Stewart, these are great actresses and and people of the day. Okay. You know, popular actresses yeah. of today. <laughs> um, I just
0: wanted to clarify the Kristen Stewart.
1: <laughs> okay, fair enough. But uh, and I mean that in itself was lauded as kind of a political choice because oh, women so. have been excluded from these these higher circles these inner circles of hollywood for so long so i mean these these award shows it take it for what it's worth having said that um, wins the palm door it wins the palm door which i think is indicative of the fact that it is a, a memorable film
0: yeah it is
1: and it does provoke emotion and i think those are two things that that I kind of understand why it might have been given the tour at least yeah. in my opinion, and we can talk about that we, we because I know you that. disagree. No, it, very it
0: provoked an emotion in me, but it was, you know, boredom. So there's, there's that to talk about. I guess
1: <laughs> you're so harsh. I just
0: didn't. I didn't like it. I didn't like it. Didn't like it. Full disclosure.
1: But you're going to give it a chance. You're going to talk about it fairly.
0: Yeah, I am. <laughs> when I say boredom, that was that was a fair descriptor of what happened. But anyways, let's continue.
1: This whole world,
0: wild at heart and weird on top. So what is this film about? It is about a young couple. Mm-hmm. Let's put it that way. In uh, love. In love. Sailor and Lula. Mm-hmm. Lula? Lula. Okay. Well, can't even get any of the names right. You, but did, yes. you said it right. I know, but I almost said Lulu. Uh, <laughs> so Sailor is played by Nicolas Cage. Lula is uh, played by uh, Laura Dern. And they are, yes, a young couple in love. Uh, except for the mother of Laura Dern uh, does not want them to be together and so at the very start of the film it's this kind of bizarre scene where she's basically hired a guy to try and kill uh, sailor, sailor yeah. and sailor in turn winds up killing the hitman in cold blood and then getting or manslaughtering him
1: yeah uh, manslaughtering him
0: <laughs> as they say in the movie uh and uh so he gets sent to prison for two years and then he comes out and that kind of begins the actual rest of the film where uh sailor and lula head off into they're trying to reach the california coast on the Mm -hmm. yellow brick road um and they you know their trials and tribulations along the way um kind of make up the majority of the movie yeah um and they go through new orleans uh and uh lula's mother sends two men after them yeah she
1: sends (laughs) a a a private detective
0: who's maybe her boyfriend
1: i think they're lovers Yeah. yeah um and then also sends a hitman who she's been involved with. For and years. Who she hired to kill her husband, mm-hmm. uh, Lula's father, um, after the private detective. She's just all over the place yeah. in terms of her motivations. Everything seems to be really just laser focused on...
0: Protecting con- Lula. Well,
1: I don't know if it's protecting Lula so much as controlling Lula. Yeah, yeah. But in controlling Lula, she thinks she's protecting Lula. Yeah. Um But... And and that's that's interesting because it does cloud some of the motivations later on. But we can get to that too. Uh yeah, so there's there's all of that happening and Lula and Sailor make it they I they end up in Big Tuna, Texas, Texas which is yeah. where Sailor um it's the one place he needed to go to and, and that's where the film kind of reaches its climax, kind yeah. of emotional climax. Yeah. And uh wherein he is Embroiled in a bank robbery gone badly for him and badly for Bobby Peru, really. Yeah, yeah, He gets the worst end of this day. Yes, he does. Um and then Sailor ends up going back to prison for six years this time. Yeah. And when he comes out, he and Lula um, Lula's given birth to their son, Pace, in the meantime. Yeah,
0: because they have a lot of sex. A, lot of sex. a whole
1: lot of sex. There's there's a just a plethora of sex, yeah. just an abundance of sex mm-hmm. in this film. Many sex. Many sexes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh and so yeah, so she has their son, and this is the first time that Sailor and Pace have met. And this is, you know, should be the romantic and heartfelt family reunion, which it, it isn't until the very very the very end, very yeah, end. yeah. And it, with yeah. a little help from a gang of street urchins <laughs> yeah. and the Glinda the Good Witch,
0: yeah, uh, played by Cheryl Lee. Yes, so Laura Palmer herself makes an appearance, exactly. Um, and and yeah, it's 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 so it's kind of an oddly paced movie. The beginning is very very sudden and abrupt. Yes, um, and there's a lot of motivations that we kind of get through flashbacks after that scene has taken place. Uh, it's it's very strange how you kind of piece together that um, Sailor used to work uh, for uh, Santos, which is the bad guy that Lula's mother knows. What's Lula's mother's name? Again? Marietta Fortune. Marietta, I'll just try and remember that. So Marietta used to be with Santos, and uh, Sailor used to work with Santos. Um, and so Sailor witnessed Santos basically murdering Lula's uh, father. Lulu's father. Uh, and. So this is like a complex web of betrayals and stuff, and it's all it's already happening right at the start of the film. So it starts off with this odd bang, and then you get these backstories filled in as you go. Um, and then uh, there's kind of nothing much really happens. There's a lot of setup uh, all the way from leaving uh, the Carolinas, where they mm-hmm. live, all the way to Big Tuna. Uh, not a whole lot happens except for... Uh, uh, the character played by Dean Stanton gets kidnapped and he gets murdered mm-hmm. um, by Santos's people. Um, but beyond that, there's nothing until the bank robbery gone wrong, really. Right. Um, except for Bobby Peru kind of... Well, he sexually assaults uh, Lord Arne's character, uh, which is a terrifying scene to watch as well. Um, but beyond that, yeah, it's 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 oddly paced in that way. Because a lot of the time they're just... Having a lot of sex, talking, and, and they have these cute little moments between as a couple. Um, but there's not a whole lot of conflict through a large portion of the Well,
1: thing. and I think part of the reason for that is that we're not dealing with um highly developed individual characters. Yeah. These are broad stroke caricatures or um archetypes, maybe is mm-hmm. the better word for it. You've got Lula, who is this idealistic naive not virginal obviously but she's she's sheltered and protected in a way um but also starry-eyed and in love with with sailor and sailor is the the bad boy with the heart of gold yeah you know who is always trying to do the right thing but always ends up on the wrong side of the law Mm. and that is it's his lot in life it's kind of something that they've both accepted and their love story is powerful in the way that Romeo and Juliet's love story is powerful in the way that um, you know, Maria and Tony in West Side Stories yeah. love story is powerful in that it's young love. It's, it's mm. puppy. It's not puppy love, but it's not far, far removed from that. Right. There's not a lot of depth there. No. And so the power of the, of that love, maybe that's why, you know, being in our, almost mid-30s now, you know, you come to love stories with a little bit more nuance and you want that depth. And so it's hard to believe that two people who are as young as they are could go off on this cross country journey with nothing more than you know whatever they have saved up in their bank accounts, yeah, a, a snakeskin jacket.
0: They'll
1: yeah. ever tell you that this here jacket represents a symbol of my individuality and my belief in personal freedom. Oh, fifty thousand times. And they're they're convertible, mm-hmm. right? But um, but nevertheless, this is what their motivation is. It, it, they just want to be together, and there is a certain poetry to that, I guess, in that these two archetypes. Uh, will do anything to be together including crossing state lines and violation of parole and uh, getting involved with these crazy characters that they meet along the way and i think that's really the journey is is the important thing and that's where the 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 kind of link with the wizard of oz comes in yeah in that dorothy goes on a journey on the yellow brick road and she meets all these characters along the way and in the end comes to a realization about home and about mm. what is important to her and that's kind of what sailor and lula are doing as they go on this journey they go from being archetypes at least i i would argue they both do lula develops into someone who is less caricatured at the end than she was previously she's a mother now mm. um she's got softer curls in her hair instead Mm -hmm. of the wild creamy 80s curls that she had before but sailor also acknowledges some part of himself that is headed towards disaster i think through his relationship with bobby peru
0: yeah a little bit and and also i mean i mean yeah we can talk about the ending because i think that's where all that character development basically happens yes in in, in these last few uh scenes and that's
1: maybe the best part of the film for, in my opinion, the best part of the film is the ending.
0: Yeah, the best part... Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll accept that because it, it does provide a little bit of depth because they basically comes out of prison... Uh, for the second time, and they meet up, and they're and it's different. They're mm-hmm. no longer in that puppy love state. They have this well because child she's
1: twenty six, and he is six <laughs> years older than he yeah, was.
0: Exactly. So, and uh, and they have this son together, and it's you know changed the dynamic. And they realize this in the silence of the car ride away from yeah. the train station where she's picking him up. And so they they basically break up. They're like, "Why well, we, we can't do this? It feels weird." I don't remember exactly how mm-hmm. they describe it. Um, and then uh, Sailor wanders off, gets beat up. Um, and he's, he's basically following his old path. You know, he's, he's got his snakeskin jacket on and he's going to walk on his solo life. Um, and then when he gets beat up and he talks to the good witch, um, (laughs) when he talks to Laura Palmer, uh, (laughs) she, she kind of elucidates like love is the way and it'll help you. And you just have to, you know, convince yourself and, and take that plunge. Um, and then when he, he wakes up and from being beat up and he thanks the guys who beat him up. Apologizes for calling them
1: homosexuals. Yeah,
0: exactly. (laughs) Which I thought was just... (laughs) And then he just screams out her name and runs after her. Mm -hmm. Um,
1: Through a a car, like these streets are absolutely sun-baked and deserted and then all of a sudden there's like a traffic 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 jam, jam, which is hilarious. So he's running on top of the cars to get to Lula's car. Yeah.
0: yeah. And then he declares his love by singing the one song that he would only sing to his wife Mm -hmm. uh, because he sings Elvis Presley songs in crowded bars with metal bands. Uh, which was again one of the, the not so great scenes earlier in the film, but he does he sings a song, she she cries out his name, and they slow dance together as, as the credits roll. And well, and I
1: think it's it's important too that they both well Lula looks at at her son Mm -hmm. and they make eye contact. And there's a kind of recognition there that that's important. I think in order to accept that this next step going forward is going to be different. Yes. And it's going to involve all three of them. It involves all three of them. So I think that's there is character development there, but like you said, it doesn't happen for the first (laughs) nine tenths of the film. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And and, I mean, I guess, I guess that is, it is a memorable scene. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Like that whole sequence is like, I remembered it from the first time I watched it. It was the only part that really, really captured my interest. Um, wholeheartedly, yeah. Um, except for the Bobby Peru stuff, because mm-hmm. he's just a great villain, and Willem Dafoe is awesome that way. Um, but uh, it is—it ve- feels very rushed, and I guess I guess that makes sense because um, if the the bulk of their story is that trip where she basically becomes pregnant, and that that's what's going to change their world, that's what sends them off the yellow brick road. Yeah, a reference they make multiple times. Um, and so coming back onto it is takes some time. You know, mm-hmm. it takes them going through those six years of off-screen growth and change Mm -hmm. to kind of bring them back to that um but it still feels awkward i can't i can't help but say that
1: and i'm not sure like i think the the point is exactly that that these characters start off um as a as archetypes and b on an archetypal journey but it's not hiding the fact that this is what they're doing because they make all these metatextual references to the wizard of Oz and, and it, they're just all over the place. It's not just what they say. They talk about being on the yellow brick mm-hmm. road. Um, there's references to Toto. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you also see filmed references that are just intercut between scenes of, um, what appears to be Marietta's hand over the, the, the globe that the looking glass, the looking yeah. glass, I guess, or the the crystal ball, crystal ball that the, so yeah. the wicked witch of the East has, and mm-hmm. she's looking in on Dorothy. Um, And there's one scene where the ball is green and you see the kind of the blue tufted uh, shoulder sleeve that looks very much like Judy Garland's dress, Dorothy's dress from the original Wizard of Oz, uh, 1939 Wizard of Oz. Um, So, yeah, I mean, and then there's the color references as well, too, Mm -hmm. like throughout the film, which is huge in the Wizard of Oz. It's It's a representation of, you know, reality is is the cold sepia or the, the cold sepia it's warm sepia mm-hmm. but then you come into this fantasy world and everything is brightly colored and um, this is where dorothy comes to the realization that there's no place like home mm-hmm. and all this running away that she's doing is not going to really help her mm-hmm. it's not going to get her anywhere so she has to make that realization before she can come back to reality and even though the reality is not technicolor it's home and so throughout this journey this is this is what struck me is is how much of that journey is full of color and full of um and like bright neon colors and every sex scene that they have yeah is colored, colored in by a different color almost mm-hmm. until I think the last one or the second last one it has to be the last one it's just all rainbow colors it's just every color is represented there so it really does feel very much like that's the um it's still part of this discovery journey, right? Mm-hmm. And even though the ending of the film doesn't, you know, throw them back into a sepia-colored reality, I think it does push them off the yellow brick road and back to yeah, reality because real place, when you're yeah. when you're on the road and you're just going through this fantastical series of events, that's not real life. Mm-hmm. But real real life is driving in your car in silence <laughs> with your son between the two of you and realizing that you don't love each other the same way anymore. And still in spite of that, trying to make a go of it, yeah. that's real life. Yeah. Right. So I, I think that that's, and, and it, it makes the, the whole, the ending of the film makes the preceding part more palatable to me. And what's interesting to, Mm. Most interesting to me is the fact that the ending was changed from the original book ending in in Barry Gifford's novel and the first screenplay, the first draft that David Lynch did. uh, Sailor walks away and that's the end of the film. Mm. And I think that would that just falls flat and it doesn't work. Yeah. So I was reading Laura Stewart's um, essay on this for 25 years later. She published it in March of 2018. And she says this is Lynch's ultimate portrayal of love, and I do think that there is some truth to that. But I also think it just it it's not necessarily about showing that these two are perfect soulmates meant to be together. It's just showing that this is they're accepting of, of a new reality that's mm-hmm. being presented to them, and that makes the story more real.
0: Yeah, no, I and I would agree with that. I think that's that's totally fair. Um, I just think it's and yeah, and absolutely that's the the central uh, emotional core of the movie for mm-hmm. sure is is their relationship and the the obstacles that they overcome to, you know, achieve love and hold on to it. Um it's just all those travails are just so awkward and weird and strange. Um
1: well, it's David Lynchland.
0: Yeah. Yeah, but it's not it's not odd and strange and uh mesmerizing. I guess mm. it, it just it lacks a certain something like uh we were saying I well I was saying right before we started recording there's there's no dream sequences. Right. Um there's some dream like imagery for sure. Um not just the the magical Wizard of Oz stuff, but uh, there's a car crash which is the scene Sherilyn Fenn's in. Right. Uh, it just kind of happens. Uh they're just uh Sailor and Lula are just driving down the highway and they come across this car crash mm-hmm. and Sherilyn Fenn's character is bleeding out of the head, possibly has her her brain oozing out of the top of yeah. her head, and she dies right in front of them. Um, and it's a really, again, it's actually a very intense, visceral scene because you're just like, what's going on? They right. just come across this thing. And it's just so tonally different from everything that preceded it that it becomes memorable, but it does that by pushing out all the other sillier things that mm-hmm. happened uh, before and after out of the way Mm -hmm. um like the first time we watched i remember that scene i remember the ending and i remember bobby peru's sexual assault and i remember the opening um but those combined are about 15 minutes of the film (laughs) and i didn't remember the rest of it um and the second time i can see why because these scenes do have that david lynch quality of Mm -hmm. they come out of nowhere and they hit you with something and they do provoke a really strong emotion for you Mm -hmm. Um, but the rest of the is just it, it lacks that. It the emotion it produced again in me it was kind of boredom, occasionally some laughter. There were a few funny moments. And I, I do love uh there were quite a few scenes of Sailor and Lula in bed, just talking, and they mm-hmm. share like their fucked up childhoods and stuff mm-hmm. and, and those are kind of interesting and great. Um, but even like uh, uh Lula's cousin played by Chris Glover, um what's his name again? Del. Dell. Um wasn't wasn't particularly bizarre in, in a strange well, it was, way it
1: was just by virtue of it not being connected to anything and there are deleted scenes which I want to talk about, yeah. about a little bit later um that kind of explain his story a little bit and change the story the of the film like the plot of the film drastically in in one very important instance but um but I think what you're talking about with with what struck me about the car crash scene and the girl Sherilyn Fenn's character mm-hmm. is that um, it is reality kind of intruding on their world, right? Up until mm-hmm. that point, the encounters they've had have been rather innocuous, not really. It, and it's mostly just been the two of them on the run, right? And then having all of these these sexual encounters every night, um, maybe they go out dancing, they get all hot and bothered, and then they go back to the hotel room and screw each other until morning, and then they get in the car and drive away. Mm-hmm. But when they meet this girl who dies right in front of them and Lula is very, um,
0: affected by this yeah.
1: because why did she have to do that? Why did she have to do that? why did she have to die right in front of us? It's like up until that point, it was a game maybe, or mm-hmm. it wasn't serious. And then all of a sudden this is reality. This is something unwanted forcing its way into your world. And, it's after this that they end up in Big Tuna and at the trailer park where they meet Bobby Peru. And that's where everything kind of falls apart. The fantasy falls apart. So I think Mm -hmm. it's important that that scene is there. And it's important that that is jarring tonally and um, thematically because it's dark. It's not colorful in any Mm -hmm. way, aside from the red of the blood that um, is gushing from her head. Mm -hmm. It's black and white and, lit by stark headlight like it's totally different and even the 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 music that's playing like chris isaac's um wicked games is the soundtrack for right before before and right after after, which is an actual song it was a a popular hit at the time and so i mean um and it's it's downbeat it's not yeah um hard metal it's not yeah you know so
0: yeah.
1: yeah so i think that that's there's a reason for that and why it's different
0: oh absolutely and and it it works in the sense of you know shattering their illusion of this mm-hmm. this trip, and, and and I'm fine with that, uh, you know, a- analyzing it and coming to that conclusion. Yeah. But watching the film does not produce yeah. that same result. Yeah, you have um, to it, think about you it. You have to think about yeah. it, and and that's and that's again, I guess that's rewarding in its own in its own respect. Um, but but watching the film should produce something along that mm. line, um, and it didn't for me because and maybe it's just because uh, the whole big tuna thing section is. Is again kind of oddly placed because there's some Lynchian craziness. Like Jack Nance's character shows up and he gives this weird monologue that, you know, is talking about his dog and Toto and it's it's scary and eerie but not super scary or eerie.
1: And and there's the German porn that's being shot, which is also just um, very yeah like carnival esque in a sense. I think that's that's what that trailer park scene really hammers home is that this is a an odd collection of. Um, Lynchian characters mm-hmm. but there is also the straight-laced cowboy type who like the texan yeah you know old money oil guy who's sitting there too which is strange like yeah. he's pretty straight compared yeah. to the rest of them and, and so
0: yeah and i think that's just that's getting to the the heart of what's of what the problem is for me is that in other lynch films when reality or the real more real world intrudes mm-hmm. um it's it, it's almost invading on a dream world um where the rules don't apply so when the when the real world interjects um like in lost highway when you know they capture they arrest uh what's his name's character (laughs) the the first half of the film bill pullman's uh when they arrest bill pullman um and then all of a sudden you're back into this dream world because Mm -hmm. the reality has been snapped away again um it's a much stronger um feel of surreal surrealism and mm-hmm. surreality, I guess, mm-hmm. uh that surrounds it. Whereas everything the all the fun, happy go lucky uh road trip stuff doesn't feel surreal really in any way. It feels like well it's true to the world that you're in. Exactly. And it, so
1: I think that's what's important to note is that this this whole world exists in Lynchland and the strangeness is when reality comes in. Yeah. And, almost, and it's yeah. it's like a reverse a reversal of mm-hmm. what you would expect from a surreal film by david mm-hmm. lynch uh so well, maybe in that yeah. sense laura's right and this is the ultimate expression of <laughs> david lynch's uh vision of love because yeah. um this is this is a surreal world in which real love you know imposes yeah, it itself at the yeah, end yeah, yeah maybe she's right <laughs> um I'm going to push back a little bit on your assertion that there is no dream sequences because there was something that I noticed that was interesting this time around. And so, like I said, I think the first time I watched this film was it, it might have been when we first got into Twin Peaks back in uh, no, 2010 was, or 2011. No,
0: no, no, it was much later than that. It was like 2014, I think.
1: Okay, either way, it was it's a while ago. Yep. Um. Since then, uh, I've I've kind of binge watched the TV show The Affair, mm-hmm. and that's on Showtime. And what's fascinated me about that show was the way that it presented memory and how each character has a different truth about the events that are happening Mm -hmm. and i think that watching that and really enjoying that and appreciating that um narrative take on the problem of memory i guess is that in this film we have i think i think elements of that coming into play when lula is telling the story about her past, she tells things, but the flashback reveal something else. So is the flashback an example of objective reality or is the flashback what she remembers? And is she telling objective reality is there's a, there's a split there. It also happens with Marietta, Mm -hmm. the way that she tells the story of the night that, um, lemon Bob, Bob Ray lemon is when, when sailor kills him Uh, she tells the story differently in different places. So her memory is affected too.
0: Yeah. It's almost like you're questioning, you know, is this what she really remembers? Is this what she wants to remember? Yes. Is this what she really remembers and it's wrong? You know, and it's all those questions.
1: And I I really enjoyed, um, I really enjoyed watching it from that angle, especially after watching the return and wondering about what reality actually is and what, in in the case of Twin Peaks: The Return, it was it was more a case of, um, you know, are there multiple timelines? Are there alternate realities? Do they exist side by side, or is there one reality that is constantly reasserting itself at various points throughout mm-hmm. the timeline? So it's very different in that respect. But um, the idea of remembering the unofficial version mm. or not remembering the unofficial or the official version, or you know, not being able to tell what's real and what's not. Uh, is is coming into play and I guess in a sense that is kind of like a dream world mm-hmm. if you remember something being a certain way even and none of us can remember anything objectively mm-hmm. everything that happens to us happens subjectively that's just the nature of life experience Maybe. life experience so is that are our memories a kind of a dream world and so that in in that way I felt there there was, opportunity i guess in this film for david lynch to have dream imagery and dream um ideas come into play yep. through the use of flashbacks and memories
0: yeah and and the flashbacks and memories are more interesting the second time mm-hmm. on the second watch for sure um because they do not line up with what we learn later on in the film and right. stuff so it it poses some more questions but
1: not enough to make you like no, it. No,
0: it was still just it and and they're they're haphazard and they're all over the place and they come out of nowhere and then they they disappear and mm-hmm. they're not returned to. Mm-hmm. It's and some of them are just filmed really funny, <laughs> which doesn't help either. Are you talking um,
1: about Chris Mcglover's
0: it, well part, part part of it? I'm making my lunch. Um but yeah, there, there's a bunch of that stuff and and uh so I feel like yeah, I feel like the the film just never really it, it has a feel mm-hmm. and the feel is interesting and it it is it, it fits the 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 story that they're trying to tell of mm-hmm. you know this young couple in love. Um, but it's just not that interesting. it's right. it's it's a story that's been told to death mm-hmm. um, and the, the the parts that are interesting that are sprinkled throughout aren't enough to to keep my interest at least.
1: So I did learn about some deleted scenes that I haven't seen. It looks like they're on YouTube. Yeah, I think
0: we, well, we quickly did a search and it looks like, I don't know if they're all there, but yeah. yeah.
1: Um, They were released on the Lime Green box set, I guess, several years ago, which are hard to come by. And we don't have that, but... Uh, it would be interesting to watch them. I didn't even realize that they were available online. I didn't even bother to look because I just assume that the stuff if they say it's exclusive, I just assume I'm not gonna find not it. Gonna find it. Um, so maybe my opinion will change on that but I did read some uh, descriptions of the important deleted scenes and one of them was that um, the film uh, the theatrical cut of the film implies that, uh, Lula was raped by her father's business partner or yeah, friend
0: Uncle something
1: yeah, her uncle yeah. who um, and she becomes pregnant and has an abortion and this colors her her sexual history and this is revealed through several flashbacks and and these post, Slash precoital talks with yeah um, with Sailor, but in the deleted scenes, it's it's revealed that Dell, her cousin, was actually the one who fathered the the baby. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if it's through any kind of. I, I can't imagine it would be consensual. It, it, yeah, you know, Lula's story is is one of of trauma and yeah,
0: um, a girl in trouble. Yeah, yeah.
1: exactly. Uh, but anyway, it does it does uh, it's one of the ones one of the deleted scenes that really. Um, I'm interested to watch just to see how it changes the film because uh, clearly David Lynch filmed more than he needed to in order to pare it down and and make it and that seems to be the way he does it with everything.
0: Yeah, well, Blue Velvet was like that for sure. Yeah, Dune has extra. Well, Dune was so much extra, but yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: and Fire Walk with Me famously had um, the missing pieces, which mm-hmm. weren't released until 2014, yeah. and which he obsessively remastered for years and what i've I've the article that i read that talked about these deleted scenes mentioned this as well that it seems interesting that these deleted scenes for wild at heart were kind of just dumped into this lime green box set without any kind of remastering at all they're not color corrected there's artifacts on the screen um so is that hypocritical of david lynch or is it just a sign that maybe he is not as invested in wild at heart as he is in twin peaks and i absolutely buy that that twin peaks was more important to david lynch than wild at heart or than most of the other uh, films or tv uh, projects that that that. he's worked on just because of the number of times he's returned to it and the sheer number of hours that he's now produced like 50 some hours of uh
0: various Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so
1: maybe not 50-some, 40-some. It's got to be 50. Yeah, maybe it is. Yeah, it would be over 50 now. now. But anyway, um, (laughs) it's a lot, right? So I I totally understand why that would feel more important to him, that he would want to do due diligence to that, Mm -hmm. those deleted scenes. But it is still noteworthy, I thought, um, just to look at it that way. So... I mean, we, we've talked a lot about kind of our analysis of the film, some of the themes in the film. Let's just like reel it back in for a bit. Aiden, was there anything about the film that you that you really liked?
0: Um, those scenes that I pointed out earlier, the yeah. four scenes, were <laughs> the good. The 15 minutes? The 15 minutes were good. Um, so one-eighth of the film I quite enjoyed. <laughs> uh, and... You know, on second viewing, uh, you know, it did I did enjoy their banter a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I, I liked their relationship. I could finally the first time I watched it, I did not even see what they were really doing with each other. It mm-hmm. seemed like it was just kind of like purely lust filled, but mm-hmm. uh here it did add a the second watch I picked up a bit more of, of what they were putting down in terms of you know, they they do have these similar histories. They do have this um ability to talk and find and help and genuinely care for one another, right? Um, which was which was good on the second watch, um, but that was about it. <laughs> really? Um, yeah. I even. I mean, yeah. No, there's really not much. I'm sorry. I no, tried. No, that's okay. That's okay. I, tried. That's
1: okay. The, we, I know this, this wouldn't is a be favorite very...
0: of many people. A lot of people think this this is like their favorite David Lynch movie.
1: And I I can see why it is an easier film to get into. And there Mm -hmm. is a lot of relatability to it in the sense of people feeling things very passionately. And um, there's a there's a political bent to the film, which I was talking to Andrew at 25 years later about this the other day. And the idea that, you know, violence in the media, especially and this is most notable in the scene where Lula is trying to find music on the car radio Mm -hmm. and all she hears is horrible, horrible news news about, you know, murders and this and that and the other um and for that to kind of be another thing that intrudes and then very violently intrudes in the form of two car accidents that happen and i guess there was supposed to be a third one involving a motorcycle at mm-hmm. the very beginning of the film that was cut and it's part of the deleted scenes as well mm-hmm. um the fact that that this is in 1989 1990 1991 the rise of 24 hour a day news cnn and msnbc and now we have you know news On our phones, connected to us 24 hours a day, seven days a week in multiple formats. I think this was kind of an early harbinger of how damaging that can be. And so there's something interesting about that and how these two characters disappear into their love for one another. Even if that love is erotic love, it's still... Not violent.
0: Yeah, it's something to find. Yeah which, yeah, which
1: and it's interesting that this film was almost slapped with an X rating. <laughs> yeah, at the you time, were saying that. That's but crazy. not for the sex, for the violence, which is well, I- ironic, maybe. In a,
0: yeah, a, in, in a, a way, in an odd way, because usually the censors are much more concerned with the sex, and the sex yeah. is pretty. You know, yeah. it's pretty out but there.
1: But the violence is also pretty out there, Yeah, you know? well, I mean,
0: and the violence is, is odd because, um, I mean, there's, again, there's the start and the end, and there's not much violence in between, really. Yeah. Um,
1: Johnny Farragut scene was, was, I guess, uh, his torture and death scene was pretty graphic to the extent that in two yeah. test viewings, uh, you know dozens of audience members got up and left twice in two separate viewings at that scene. So, I mean, that scene
0: is one of the more Lynchian scenes because mm -hmm. there's just oddities going Mm -hmm. on. There's the, there's the guy, the hitman who's actually going to shoot him in the back of the head. There's, um, Grace Zabriskie's character character just being odd and talking Mm -hmm. to him and not, I can't even understand what she's saying half the time. Uh, you know, that scene is, is, is very Lynchian. Yeah. Um, so I can see why it's disturbing. Yeah. Um, but there's no actual violence shown. In that no, scene yeah, none whatsoever. that you see.
1: And I guess in the deleted scene, it's not much different than which, which the deleted scene is actually what was originally in the film, apparently, oh, okay. or much closer to it. No. It's not much different than what was on on hmm. the theatrical cuts. So I'm not sure. Again, haven't watched the deleted scenes. We'll have to do that. But yeah, um, yeah. So I mean that 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 is interesting that there's a. a a commentary about violence, which comes back again and again and again, not in, and we've been on record as saying that when Lynch tackles violence, he's not endorsing it. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, holding a mirror up to society to say, this is what it is. This is Except what's happening. Bobby
0: Peru scene. That was just, that was just gross. That okay. Was just and this too is, much.
1: this is, I know. And that's, that's tough, but I think Bobby Peru is, is um, he's one of the more memorable figures for me. Yeah. Um, and I, I like that part i like him as a character Blowing i like his own head off? i like willem defoe oh yeah as an actor and yeah. i think he's and he plays, having a lot of fun oh, as bobby yeah. peru
0: when he's loading the shotguns like, oh yeah where,
1: where do you think you're going like, well, and his just, smile is like so it you know disgusting. with those false teeth in oh, and the way that he kind of uh approaches that that gleeful character is a highlight i think as horrible and terrible as he is in, in terms of you know Lynch's rogue figures. He's one of the worst ones, yep. I think, uh, of the the corporeal ones. Let's mm-hmm. say yes, true.
0: Um,
1: but yeah, he's uh, he's positively terrifying and thrilling to watch. And the scene where he um, where he sexually assaults Lula mm-hmm. is harrowing. Oh God! Especially knowing what Lula's been through, and I think I like that too. That Lula is not just she is an archetype. But she does have a background. She does have kind of a, a, yeah, a fairly typical. I'm, I'm going
0: to push back on you for a second. Okay, that's here fine. Go for it. Because I don't really view Lula as a stereotype at all. Okay. I don't think she's innocent at all. She's almost the exact opposite. She's she's a I, she's she feels like a bit of an archetype, but it's almost like of like. I don't know like a, like a sexually molested young girl who sure. has very confused feelings about sex. Sure. Um but at the same time she's very straight in her love for for Sailor. Mm-hmm. It I, I find her the most interesting character of anyone in the in the film because she has all this terrible history with her uncle and then apparently her cousin also probably sexually assaulting her, having an abortion, having her father killed by her mother and yeah. finding out about this. Um it's it, it's quite a crazy amount of things to put Mm -hmm. on her um and then she when she finds out she's pregnant and she doesn't know how to sell sailor and then bobby prue comes in and assaults her it's like this poor girl is just you know getting run through the ringer
1: on top of everything her mother is a piece of work oh um, yeah exactly we we haven't really talked about diane ladd much aside from her extraness but yeah (laughs) that's a good summary you're you're right. right i mean like lula is definitely not
0: yeah she's not innocent at all i
1: didn't i don't mean that she's innocent i Mm -hmm. mean that she approaches things with kind of a with a kind of innocence or a naivete that is um Uh, i don't know like she's just she's i think she wants to see the best in every situation she wants to see the best in sailor she probably believes that she's capable of something even though she maybe she doesn't you know express it and i think mm -hmm. there's a lot of devastation when when it becomes clear that this is not going to go go the way they want it to. And that is, that's earth shattering, but it's part of her growth process for what it's worth and, and for how much we actually see of it. Um, given that we only really see
0: a a short bit of it at the end.
1: But, um, but that scene with, with, uh, Bobby Peru, Lula and Sailor in the, the courtyard I thought was so important this time because it really does feel like a turning point for mm-hmm. the film. You, you, they've just had this car accident happen and then they meet Bobby Peru and this is almost like a, a future foretelling of what Sailor might be mm-hmm. if he continues down this path and ends up, you know, in this hyper-violent cycle right even though he's got this heart of gold and this this desire to do good it could be rubbed out in an instant if he keeps going down this path and i think lula kind of realizes it and at this point she already knows she's pregnant i think or she's at least getting sick yeah um so we know she's pregnant but um and sailor then makes a choice to go into business with bobby prue i i like that whole thing i think that's probably one of my favorite parts because the motivations are so
0: um yeah clear yeah
1: yeah which is funny because i also like how mixed up and muddled um marietta fortune's motivations are and how and she's kind of the catalyst for everything she is cast as the wicked witch of the east right so you see her even dressed as the wicked witch of the east and at the end when when lula kind of breaks free from her spell she spills water on her picture and the picture evaporates in a cloud of smoke just like the wicked witch of the east so um it's very not subtle but <laughs> yeah. but her motivations are very interesting in that she she really does seem to want what's best for her daughter and what's best for her daughter is not sailor
0: yeah. which Why you know does there's she feel evidence that way? of that yeah. i mean sailor's Oh yeah no sailor's clearly not, not the best and, guy maybe yeah.
1: for 20 year old lula but <laughs> yeah. i mean lula ultimately has to make that, that decision for herself yeah. and for her son and her mother can't really
0: yeah, handle exert
1: that. that kind of influence on her but but it does make you wonder you know knowing what marietta maybe went through with lula's father and her involvement with santos and you know is she trying to ward off a similar path for her daughter yeah you know to prevent her from going down and and, and having this horrible life visited on her i don't think i feel sympathy for marietta fortune but no but I do see things sometimes from her point of view, like she just wants to protect her daughter do, the most horrible and despicable way possible. But it's it's just Lynch's parental figures are really fascinating. And I think we could do a whole episode just talking about, yeah. you know, um, every yeah, all, parents, the parents, all the every parents, parent, you know, well, from the Palmers yeah. to... You know, in head or the grandmother, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's all kinds of evidence that parental figures aren't always there to do the best for mm-hmm. you. And even when they are, as in the case of the Haywards, you know, there's darkness lingering underneath there. Yeah. I don't know. There, there's something to that. I think that's really interesting. What did you hate the most? Is that a fair question? Should we uh, even talk about this? No, I well, I mean,
0: the hates a strong. Hates a I didn't. I didn't care for this one. It's not like Dune where I literally had trouble watching it at mm-hmm. points. Uh, the movie's watchable and it's it's enjoyable for those moments, and the rest of the film goes down easy. Uh, so it's it's like a Brandy
1: Alexander, exactly. right? Exactly. <laughs>
0: it's 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 a simple story told well, uh, and and that's fine. Um, there were a few points where like when he breaks into song at any point in time, it's just, it's just awkward and it doesn't, it doesn't fit tonally. It's, it's strange. Um, though, yeah, the one in the bar where, uh, the heavy metal band just stops playing music cause he asked them to, <laughs> and then, you know, knows how to play an Elvis song, uh, on instant cue, uh, was, was kind of interesting or it was kind of terrible. I should say not interesting. Uh, that one really bothered me. Um, and some of like the, the quick, Uh, cuts to like sex and it's just like whoa there it is was just jarring but you know it's it's fine it's fine i'm i'm fine with the film the film is fine
1: he's fine he's twitching now everything's fine he's twitching really badly all is
0: fine except for my nervous system but that's that's (laughs) neither here nor there uh so yeah yeah was there any point that you disliked
1: um like I think the the watched. breaking out into song, but I've always been one of those people who doesn't like musicals. Really, yeah. I I, I find it strains credulity that people would just break into song, and I I refuse to accept that there's like a fantasy world where this happens. Like I just I haven't been able to
0: you know, bridge that, that line, gap. No.
1: Which is funny because I watched the first two seasons of Glee and I really liked it. Yeah. But I kind of bought it that a Glee club would sing all the time. We'd sing all the time. It makes sense. I was part of you know the Canadian equivalent of Glee clubs. We didn't break into song in the in the hallway often, but. <laughs> I was in the band hallway in high school, so I mean, it it was allowed, but
0: anyway. Yeah, and the other thing, uh, you know, just Nicolas Cage delivering some Nicolas Cage lines every so often as Nicolas Cage yeah well in a yes, he a, a cagey does way. yeah in the, in the cagey uh fashion uh there's just some bad lines where you're just like wow Nicholas, you really phoned him there uh but you know he's he has an Oscar right did he win an Oscar
1: I don't know but I, I I don't my dad is a big Nicolas Cage fan yeah. and we used to watch a lot of Nicolas Cage films growing up but I really lost mm. I think the last film that I really liked that he was in was Leaving Las Vegas to be totally honest with you. Uh,
0: national Treasure is a national treasure. Okay, <laughs> that film is awesome. I do so. remember
1: that one wasn't too bad. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, my favorite uh, Nicolas Cage film was Valley Girl. Has always been Valley Girl, will always be Valley Girl. Yeah. So when I see him in his young prime, Valley Girl was what, 84 or 86? Or yeah, I don't like that, know. Yeah. Um, not too far removed from Wild at Heart. So, you know, young Nicolas Cage playing young Nicolas Cage, Playing Elvis. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah, yeah. I it does work for me in some points, but it does make me laugh too much. And it's hard to buy him as a as a romantic lead in this film.
0: At times. At times. Yes.
1: Like in the in the, you know, some of the yeah. singing uh yeah. delivery of lines. Yeah. Fuck off for
0: sure. Like totally.
1: But I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. I think. Uh, I think the the thing that gets me um is how uh messy it is mm-hmm. in terms of pacing and yeah. uh the tone of the film. Yeah. And that that's just something that I think comes down to rushed editing choices maybe. I don't uh, know. He was editing it up to the day before the it was screened much. at at Cannes. So I mean, there's a good chance that if he'd had more time, it would have been better. But sometimes that's not the case and you tinker with it too much and then it ends up being worse. So, I mean, it's not... Um, I, I don't know. I don't know how to approach that. But uh, it does seem like it doesn't always strike the right chord for me, tonally, yeah. Yeah. or pacing-wise.
0: Yeah, no, and I agree. That's everything I complained about at the beginning. So I won't retread that. I agree.
1: I am going to add to my list of likes. Okay. Um. There's... One of the songs that Angelo Badalamenti wrote for the score Mm -hmm. is a beautiful, soaring love theme, and (laughs) I'm not ashamed to admit this that I didn't know it from Wild at Heart. I knew it from the Donner Party PBS documentary that I watched because it's used in the it's used in the opening scenes of that, which is like maybe fitting in a sense. It's this American story that's. Horrible and just a you know <laughs> atrocious, gory you know yeah, horror yeah. film of, of a or horror story of a, a tragedy in the Donner Party, and here's this song from Wild at Heart, That's funny. or at least Agile Badalamenti used it in both. I, I don't know, maybe it was composed before that and yeah. it existed it, out yeah. there, but anyway. Um, I, d- I just love Angelo's music, so it's true. I'm I'm fine with with the music choices in general.
0: And this was only his second pairing with Angelo. Well, I
1: think or? this was after it's Twin, Twin Peaks. Peaks. Yeah, but he did Blue Velvet as well. Oh, he did do
0: Blue Velvet. That's right. I he was working on that, yeah. Blue
1: Velvet yeah. with him, so. our take on wild at heart yeah. weird on top that's uh, basically a really good summary of that film Yep. um didn't didn't completely win us over nope uh but it's fine but it's, it's fine. fine it's, it's fine. fine totally fine it's totally fine twitch twitch
0: yeah and uh so next week we are going to come back at you with um a bit of a well, chronologically, the next film that would be released is there's a kind of a split tie between Storyville and Firewalk with Me. We're going to wrap up the Lynch Frost productions yeah. with Firewalk with Me, so we're going to do a bit of a retrospective episode. We think.
1: Yeah, we did uh, last year a full week of fire Fire Week with Me. If you remember Fire Week with us. Fire Week with us. Yes. Shit. Way to go. Rewind. Let's re-record <laughs> that. Fire week with us. We had a lot of friends come over and we did like a roundtable discussion about the film. We watched it with some people who had never seen Twin Peaks before, mm-hmm. um, who since then have both watched the entire thing. I think didn't... No, Simon, Simon hasn't
0: watched... Uh, no, he watched... <laughs> I gave him just the Lynch episodes of the original oh, series to right. watch. And he he liked that. Just a quick update. Uh, he did enjoy... All the episodes and he said uh, he didn't really understand what was going on at the end because there was a big gap between uh, the reveal of Laura's killer and the final episode, which were the only two uh, in that section of of season two that Lynch directed. Um, But he said the final episode of season two just blew him away. The same Mm -hmm. does with most people, I think um but and then i think he started watching season 3 but it was it was a little too odd for him i think yeah. he's i think he's kind of jumped
1: but olivia shot, but, watched the whole thing the whole thing and uh and loved it and i do mm-hmm. remember we after it ended in september uh Aaron and Olivia and Aiden <laughs> yeah. and I we all went out for dinner together and, and just had talked, talked just about it, yeah. totally she's like hey I have a theory <laughs> but you need to explain this to me and we'll figure it all out together and and we did we totally did it was yeah. a summit meeting we figured the whole thing out <laughs> if you want uh, transcripts of that conversation we will they don't exist so too bad um, <laughs> anyway yeah. Uh, yeah so that that week of fire week with us that we did um, we will repost it on Twitter I think just because they it's good conversations and, and we did have a lot of fun with it but in light of of the return. I think Firewalk with Me, it, it'll be fun to, yeah. to look at and mm-hmm. just kind of revisit it in uh, in kind of a year later. Yeah. Um, uh, given the time and the distance, I think there mm-hmm. are things that we can pick up from that. Yep. After that, it'll be Storyville. Storyville, yep. Which was Mark Frost's project that he did immediately after Twin Peaks and, yeah, and came out in
0: 92. Yep. He, and he directed and uh, wrote that. Uh, I was his big hollywood
1: mm-hmm. film you know, and was- i'm really interested to see it because it is such it's a storied production yeah. har har um just because of how close it was to twin peaks and there's all that um mythology about how he also left twin peaks mm-hmm. to work on storyville which is not entirely true um but in, in any case this is uh th- this kind of plotting out the next couple of weeks or month for us um, in between there, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to New York City for the Split Screen Festival. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, 25 years later is is going to be covering the Twin Peaks panels. One of our writers, Jen uh, JC, she's going to be uh, presenting one of her fan theories mm-hmm. at the the fan theory panel. So I'll be I think we might do a quick episode from new york where i can report back on the split screen festival as well
0: yeah so but
1: we'll see what we have time for yeah in any case we've rambled on long enough you can go ahead and and watch wild at heart let us know what you think which one of us you agree with or Mm -hmm. disagree with most strongly sound off and on twitter or facebook let us know what you think we'll see you again in a couple weeks
0: If you're enjoying the show and want to join the conversation, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash bickeringpeaks, all one word. You
1: can also follow us on Twitter, that's at bickeringpeaks.
0: Or you can head over to iTunes and leave us a review or comment. We'd love to hear from you.